This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge the ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey everybody and welcome back to Ozpol Snackpod, the podcast where normally two of Australia's foremost political nobodies bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy memes. And we're also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group. Uh, I say normally because, uh, well, my name's Noon, uh, I'm the host of the show, and normally I would have with me my co-host Zach Lesnack, uh, but he's been... A- Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm just getting something here in my earpiece. Le snack. Le snack. Le snack. <laughs> Very well done, dude. Thanks. <laughs> I feel like you you knocked that out of the park. <laughs> yeah, uh, Zach Le Snack uh, here again. Uh, back had at a few it. weeks off to to deal with family stuff. Yes, but back at it. Back in the hot seat. Um, yeah, I'll be honest, Noon, um, I'm thirsty, but, uh, luckily I've got a big cup of Ozpol lemonade right here. And I need to drink it. Uh, <laughs> I'm about to drink it. I can't think of, like, since we started this show about a year and a half ago, there literally hasn't been a three week period in Australian mm. politics that was a better time to take off from doing a weekly political podcast. So yeah. I think it lined up really well, actually. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I've been seeing everyone sending you nice messages on Facebook and Patreon and discord and so on. It's been sweet for me to see. It has been really really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much everybody for the messages of, um, of support and letting me know that I, that you were thinking of me. That was, yeah, it was, it was really moving. Thank you very much. It's a lovely little community we've, we've got here. Yeah. We love you guys. All right. Zach, what are we having for entree? Something cool and fun and silly, I bet. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's um, April Fool's this week, or it was, yeah. and um, this week for April Fool's, the Australian government has uh, made it very explicit to the Australian population that they want us to die miserably. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not April a great Fools. joke. Yeah, yeah, April, April Fool's. <laughs> we're we're taking away your money on like... safety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of undercooked this um bit a little bit i think <laughs> like i don't i don't i don't i don't have anywhere else to take this but um other than i've just written april fool's jerks in my notes yeah and then it says job keeper ended eviction moratorium ended house prizes rising more and again mm-hmm. and uh all the rest of our stories this week are bad although we do have one kind of positivity corner as well yeah uh yeah um it's, it's gonna be a, a a difficult uh episode full of bad things so yeah, uh, good prank. Happy, happy prank Go- day. Gov- government. Yeah, <laughs> uh, doing all that stuff at the same time. Yeah, uh, but uh, our, our first real story is going to be a Corona one this week, Noon. Hey man, I got some more beers. Oh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. No, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. Yeah, so um, uh, we've been talking about vaccines for the last couple of weeks. It's been the main Corona news, and uh, I'm not sure that we ever actually said this on the show but the government's target was to have four million people vaccinated by the end of march uh so the end of march has come and gone zach do you know how many people got done by then no why did you put me on the spot like that (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, it's about two thirds of one million, so less than a quarter of uh, w- what the actual goal was. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, I was going to say, yeah, five, it's like five hundred thousand. Yeah, it's it was a, a little more than that, yeah. but not not much. Don't worry, though, Zach. According to the top Department of Health, we are quote not behind on our goals. Um, oh, great. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's kind of a few different reasons for that. One is that like. It was always meant to start small and get bigger. Um, and, like, you know, we've got the domestic manufacturing of the vaccines coming out and blah, 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 blah. And so the Department of Health is saying that we're still on track to have everyone in the country given one dose by October, and most people will have had two by then. Uh, however, epidemiologists from various universities around the country say that is not right. Um, mm. and, and that it's also not what they said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... Yeah, it's it's kind of like the carbon emission goals. The government's like, oh yeah, we're meeting our targets, and then everyone's like, um, not actually though. And the government's like, not in any kind of real sense. Not if you look at the numbers <laughs> that have happened and the number of the target. If you look at just one of those, well, no. <laughs> sure. Well, but that's not what we're talking about. We're we're talking about what we're saying is real. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, is real. We're not. So you're misinterpreting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, According yeah. to us, we're doing fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, as I say, nonetheless, we are in a pretty good situation in Australia and all the epidemiologists are like, well, look, we're definitely not on target for our vaccine manufacture, but like any country in the world would swap with Australia's coronavirus situation right now. So like, yeah, good. Uh, yeah. And the other news, uh, Brisbane has been in lockdown after a cluster of cases. Uh, the lockdown has ended, but there's still mandatory masks across the entire state of Queensland for another two weeks and some other restrictions. So if you're in Queensland, um... You know, stay safe, wear a mask. Um, yeah, that's the uh, you bet. That's the Coronas. Thanks for that quick update. Noon. Now it's time to move on to. So, the Victorian government seems to be backing off the Western Highway upgrade um, that has destroyed and will continue to destroy uh, trees that are culturally significant and, in some cases, sacred to the Jabarung people. Um, we haven't heard an update about this story in a little while. Yeah. It's been going through the Supreme Court. Um, and weirdly, I haven't been able to find any reporting on this development other than in the Herald Sun. So huh. uh, sorry for using News Corp as a source here. Uh, also, there may be more information. I stole it, if that yeah. makes it any better. <laughs> yeah, um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this case is, you know, they've been in, in the Supreme Court for a while. I'm sure that our listeners are, are pretty familiar with this case by now. It's been going on for years. Um, but according to the Herald Sun, this week, officials from the Department of Transport backed down and told the court that they wanted to reset discussions, which um, I think would mean basically meeting with the Eastern Ma Aboriginal Corporation to work on a new cultural heritage management plan. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of like back to the drawing board type stuff as opposed to like, you know, continuing this legal battle essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is pretty cool that the government's doing that just out of the goodness of their hearts. Um, oh, no, wait, wait, wait. It's because it's been revealed that Vic Rhodes was doing incredibly dodgy shit when they were setting up the project in the first huh. place. Um, beyond, you know, destruction, uh, perpetuating the destruction of indigenous land and culture. I mean, like legally dodgy stuff, the stuff that like white courts care about for um, sure what what kind of thing so the first aboriginal corporation that vic Rhodes was dealing with in regards to the highway expansion was called martang registered aboriginal party which is 
now deregistered. So there's been, that's one of the things that complicates this is there's been a few different uh, representative bodies right, right. involved. Um, but so it turns out that at the time that VicRoads was trying to get approval from Martang to upgrade the highway, they were also negotiating with them a $1 million credit trading agreement, huh. um, which do you have any idea what that is? I mean, I can kind of guess that it's like essentially a $1 million loan from the government. Uh, See, but- that, that's kind of what I, that's what I assumed too. And there was no further information um, about this in the Herald Sun article. They were just like, yeah, $1 million credit trading agreement and moved on. You know, and I was like, CTA. Yeah, ex- <laughs> pretty much. And then I was like, what is this? I started to look into it and realized why the Herald Sun journalists had been too lazy to expand on it because it was kind of technical and um, boring. Boring. Mm. Uh, but that's what you pay us for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I sent Nude a message when I started researching about it. So I was like, I'm reading uh, um, Ombudsman's reports on credit trading agreements. Feels good to be back. <laughs> snack. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, a credit trading agreement. I'll just I'll give you a brief overview because sure. I think it's kind of interesting, uh, even though it is technical and boring. So basically, the government's planned highway expansion would destroy some native vegetation, which is obviously the the issue. Yeah, what this is all about. Uh, but planning laws require developers to offset destroyed native vegetation by getting what are called native vegetation credits. Okay, um, it's like carbon abatement dis- credits or whatever, but for destroying. A native exactly trees, sure. um and that can be uh and this is a quote from uh, the victorian the the uh the like planning laws the ongoing protection and management of a patch of native vegetation one or more scattered trees or an area of revegetation so essentially what in what was supposed to be two completely separate processes vicroids was on the one hand trying to get access to the land to build their new highway and also being like, oh, what a coincidence. We need some native vegetation credits. You guys wouldn't happen to want $1 million for taking care of some native vegetation, would you? Right, I see. So um, the deal would mean that the Aboriginal corporation or, or organization would be like get the job of planting and looking after a $1 million worth of native vegetation that would have been destroyed by the highway. Well, no, oh, it's it would like, have been destroyed it, anyway. The, in, it's, an off, in, it's an offset. So it can be, yeah, you know, yeah. it can be... It can be anywhere, basically. Right, right, right. Um, but, you know, essentially they were using the, like, native vegetation credit scheme as a bribe. Yep. To be like, we we will, you know, we'll give you this if you just let us, you know, expand this highway through this land and destroy these trees. Uh-huh. Um, so that's a little thing we like to call a, a conflict of interest, my dude. Mm. It uh, doesn't, doesn't look great for the government. So the government... As being like, oh, you know, litigation, boy, just, it's so costly, complicated, time consuming. Uh, so, you know, we, we'll just go back to negotiations when what they really mean is, oh, <laughs> we might actually lose now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, this is, I think, basically good news, hence positivity corner, but it is still complex because, as I said, there have been a number of, um, like, corporations and entities that have claimed or supposedly rep- been representative of. The Jabarung people in these uh, in in this whole dispute, but there is some dispute over whether the Eastern Ma Corporation does truly represent the Jabarung people. That's not something that you or I are in a position to really speak on. I totally. think yeah. so. Um, well, this is good news. I think there is you know there's uh, there's so many ins and outs in this yep. case. Yep. So um, 
we'll have to uh, wait and see how it develops. But basically that the government is like giving ground a little bit here. That's two thumbs up. That's, totally. that's what you want. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Nice. All right. That was our positivity corner. Zach, you're going to take us into our First Nation story now? I will. And just a warning that this story contains the names of indigenous people who have died. We'll put time codes in the show notes um, for you to skip past this if you don't want to listen to it. This is definitely not a positivity corner, but um, I don't know. There's it's It's like... I don't know. Admirable activism, advocacy, I guess you could you could say. Yep. So, as you mentioned in the past uh, couple of solo shows that you did, Noon, um, there have been five Indigenous deaths in custody in, in this country over the past two months, which is just um, fucking shocking. We're also approaching the 30th anniversary of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody. Um, and to coincide... With that anniversary, um, this new foundation has been established called the Dajua Foundation. This has been founded by April Day, who's the daughter of Tanya Day, who whose case we've discussed a number of times on the show. She was a Yorta Yorta woman who died in custody after being arrested uh, under public drunkenness laws for being asleep on a train. Um, and uh, yeah, her daughter April has set this up uh, in consultation with a number of other families who've, whose loved ones have died in custody. Um, so according to, uh, April day, the Dajwa foundation provides quote, strategic, culturally appropriate services to Aboriginal people who have lost a loved one in custody. Um, she, I listened to an interview with her, uh, I think it was, uh, with Patricia Carvelis. And, uh, she said that the name means sunshine in Yorta Yorta because it, uh, her mum Tanya would light up a room when she walked into it. Um, and as well, you know, it's about shining a light on mm. injustice. Um, I thought that was a nice detail. So the Dajua Foundation will provide uh, financial assistance, campaign support, media training, all this kinds of stuff to families who are going through uh, the process of, mm-hmm. you know, having uh, had a loved one die in, in custody. And trying to the get idea some justice being, for it. Uh. Exactly. The idea being then that um, the families have room to uh, to grieve and heal Um you know, not having to deal with the kind of logistical aspects of mm. doing stuff, for example, like, um, you know, attending coronial inquests can be a really financially burdensome thing for a family to do. For sure. Because at the same time, you know, you're like traveling back and forth every day. You have to take time off work. It, these coronial inquests can go on for weeks. Um, April Day was saying that when uh, Tanya Day's inquest was happening, that she had to like crowdfund in order mm. to basically pay for her living expenses because she had to take this time off work and was doing all this extra travel, etc. And it's just like, you know, Im- imagine doing all that stuff while... Just after you've lost a loved one right. and while you're trying to fight the colonial state. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and while I was uh, putting together this story, I came across a quote from uh, Talia Reynolds, who is the sister of Nathan Reynolds, who died uh, in custody from an asthma attack. We've discussed um, this right. story yep. previously. Um, uh, she said, when you deal with the death in custody, it goes on for so long and life goes on hold. So I just have to be numb to it all. I haven't really mourned because I can't, because this is going to keep going on. Until this is over, I can't mourn him. I think if I mourn now... I'll just lose control and I will break. And so I think, you know, there's this, yeah, there's such a need 
there for mm. you know unfortunately there's such a need for um yeah some like robust support for these families to give them the space to actually be able to emotionally process mm. um you know uh in any way that they can um so Dave points out that there are other like government funded services that do provide some support in this situation mm -hmm. but the support is very limited and as it's obviously influenced by the very governments who are part of the problem right, in the first right. place i've got a quote from her here the dajua foundation is grassroots it's got absolutely no government influence it's governed by families so it's family led by the people that have been directly impacted we know more than anyone what our families need because we have been through it before um so yeah i mean look it's tragic that this needs to exist in the first place but um i think it's really important that it does um you know april day has obviously identified that it was something that would have been extraordinarily helpful for her in her situation um and as, as i said uh this has been set up in collaboration with uh other families of of people whose loved ones have died in custody um and uh, I was kind of putting together, I was like the uh, looking at the list of the people who are on the board and uh, on the foundation's website, it kind of, it lists like who they were related to mm. uh, that died in custody. And I was kind of going through and listing and just kind of remembering the cases and mm. putting next to them in brackets, like the way that they died. And then I was listening to an interview with April Day and she said that she thinks that it's really important that these people are remembered for who they were, not just how they died. Yeah. So I'm going to try and refer to these people by something other than their method, that, like the way that the, they... The police that they, killed them. Yeah, they all, yeah, they all died in custody, but... Mm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, April Day is the founder. Um, she's the daughter of Tanya Day, who herself was a staunch advocate mm. for um, relatives of people who had died in custody. Uh, also on the board uh, is Samara Fernandez-Brown, the cousin of Kumanjai Walker. Kumanjai Walker was um, someone who was really close with his girlfriend's grandparents. They had a very tight relationship. Um, Troy Brady is also on the board. He's the nephew of Sherry Tilbury, uh, whose family described her as loving and infectious. <laughs> um, Michaela Reynolds, the sister of Nathan Reynolds. I mentioned their sister, Talia, um, as well earlier um, in this segment. Um, the Reynolds family said of Nathan, Nathan was the joker of our family. He had a really great sense of humor and loved his footy golf and fishing. Uh, and, uh, lastly on the board is Carolyn Lewis, who really tragically has had several family mm. members die in custody. Um, her granddaughter, Miss Do, who was described as, um, bright and bubbly by Carolyn herself. Um, uh, Carolyn's granddaughter, Shadina Wynn, who was a mother of three children and, um, and Shadina's father, um, Warren John Cooper, who died in custody at 26, which is the same age that his daughter died mm. uh, in custody as well. Um, Oof. so yeah, I mean, there's like, obviously there's generations of, um, of pain and trauma here, but I also think what an uh, incredible collection of advocates, um, and the way that, uh, the Day family, you know, in particular, has kind of rallied and turned this horrible thing into, um, you know, basically 
a form of community support for other people is, yeah, you know, as I said, tragic that it needed that it needs to be done, but mm. also incredible that they're making it happen. Um, and yeah, as I was writing this story, I, I you know, we we try to kind of wrap up when we talk about stuff like this by offering a little, you know, a, a thought <laughs> at the end of it. And reading, you know, it's it's impossible to to put together notes about something like this and mm. not just be like, we just need to really fucking completely abolish the police. We need to abolish prison. And I think for a lot of people, you know, well, you get the arguments that it's, you know, this is an impossible thing to imagine. It's a really hard concept for people to get their head around. I mean, I would argue that it's way easier to get your head around that than it is around all of the pain that I just described, mm. you know, mm. all the, the fact that we have indigenous people dying in custody at the rates that we do. I mean, that is what is impossible to accept. That's the concept that you can't get your head around. I mean, what the fuck, you know, compared to that completely rethinking our justice system should be a walk in the park, mm. basically, you know, there should be a massive appetite for it. Um, and I just wanted to finish up here uh, by saying that there's going to be a national day of action um, protests against uh, indigenous deaths in custody uh, to mark the 30th anniversary mm -hmm. of the um, Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. So that's happening on the 10th of April. I know that warriors of Aboriginal resistance are organizing a rally in Nam, aka Melbourne, um, and I'm sure that there are going to be events in other cities um, and towns as well. So keep an eye out for those events um, and show up if you can. All right, thanks for that one, Zach. Um, and now you have another horrible story for us. <laughs> yeah, I do. I've got a bit of a Nazi roundup. Um, one of the things that Ooh. has... <laughs> yeah, because uh, we have enough Nazi shit going on that um, <laughs> we need to talk about more than one Nazi thing. Before we uh, get into it, I just wanted to say, uh, I think it was in the last week or two in the Ospol shitposting Facebook group... Um, uh, I don't know if I posted something about Nazis or whatever, uh, or there was some tweet that was like, oh, the idea of swastika tattooed Nazis is so out of date, blah, blah, blah. And someone was like, yeah, it's true. And uh, and I was like, wait, but what about those guys flying the Nazi flag and that dude who keeps getting spotted with Nazi tattoos and that guy in Perth last week, who well, it was last month now, who attacked a woman with a flamethrower who had a swastika tattoo on his forehead. And what about all these other things? Like, fuck, we're in a Nazi fucking country, man. Like, it's yes. non-stop. Non it's just, they're fucking everywhere. What the hell? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's Fashy Australia. It's the segment it <laughs> Fashy Australia where you talk about how it's so much Nazi shit these days yeah. and all the time yeah. and always has been. Um, <laughs> even before the concept of National Socialism was technically invented, it was Nazi shit happening mm -hmm. on this country. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, a cheerful one. So first off, uh, I just wanted to mention uh, the shenanigans that uh, Tom Sewell has been getting up to. So these days... Um, Back when we first started recording the show, one of our earliest episodes, we talked about Blair Cottrell, mm. and I think I described he was him at a the time regular as a, feature at, in our yeah, shows. and he's kind of faded into obscurity mm. a little bit. Um, but I described him at the time as Australia's premier Nazi, mm -hmm. and I would say that he has been since supplanted by Tom Sewell, um, who I, yeah is arguably our premier Nazi these days. Um, so Tom Sewell. Uh, assaulted a security guard at Channel 9's offices in Melbourne uh, a couple of weeks ago. I would recommend going and checking out Tom Tanaki's coverage of this because he's, you know, 
he's the expert. He can give you much yep. more uh, yep. in-depth breakdown of this. And he's um, he did a bunch of videos. We'll post links. Also funnier and more handsome than I am. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know who Tom Sewell is, he's the leader of the National Socialist Network, which um, is kind of what the Lads Society has become, if you know about those guys. Um, but in other words, you know, he's a literal... <laughs> actual nazi like he's a li- he's a literal neo-nazi it's not, not like figurative like oh he's racist and you know he's got isolationist views uh, etc like he's you know i mean it's in the name national socialist network yeah um and so channel nine uh it was a, a current affair did a story about the national socialist network after this incident in the grampians which we covered yep. a few months ago when that happened a bunch of <laughs> what did um Tom describe it as just white men on a bushwalk who, who happened to all be uh, covering their faces and uh, burning crosses and, and yeah. yelling Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Tom I thought Sewell, that was actually really funny. I uh, Long-term listeners may know I, I have a very specific kind of uh, focus on the Ku Klux Klan because I had like traumatic nightmares about them for like nearly every night for like a solid four years when I was like, 10 or something Mm. um and uh as tom said these guys don't they're not really that like the ku klux klan they have very little in common with them they just Mm. know it's an upsetting name to associate themselves with and so they went around yelling much like the guys that we went to high school with yelling penis they went around yelling ku klux klan except also then they were like you know going to threatened to beat people up and shit so like and anyway that's yes. that's a that's side a, note. that's uh, a comment from tom tanneke that you're talking about not from tom sewell oh no who... did i mix them no, up no, that's you, unfortunate no you, you you didn't mix okay, them up okay. i just there are two toms we just definitely want to keep one's the two good, toms one's straight here. Yeah, yeah, yeah we got one yeah <laughs> exactly um so tom sewell was very mad that he wasn't interviewed as part of this a current affairs show uh about his national socialist network uh, because he is uh, and admitted a current affairs uh, stand from way back. Um, oh. Grew up on it. Uh, I think he doesn't like the show anymore, uh, <laughs> but it was a big part of his childhood, uh, apparently. Anyway, so he went to Channel 9's offices in Melbourne to, in his words, quote, confront them um, and, you know, complain about the media persecuting mm-hmm, white people, mm-hmm. Nazi shit, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he ended up in uh, attacking the lone black security guard who the building security decided to send down to get rid of two jacked up neo-Nazis. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Um, the security guard was, uh, hospitalized. He's now okay. Um, so, uh, a current affair did the only reasonable thing in this scenario, which was immediately give Tom Sewell the interview that he wanted. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. One guys. of the, the funny details about, Tom Tanneke's coverage of this is when he wa- he watched the first story that a, uh, a current affair put out that didn't interview Tom Sewell, and Tom Tom Tanneke was like, "Hmm, this is actually not bad. Seems like they've, you know, heard the messaging. They've, they've gotten the point about don't interview Nazis." Mm-hmm. And then they literally did it like <laughs> the next day, and Tom had to put out a video being like, "So I." <laughs> Was wrong about that. Um, yeah, you should go and watch it. Anyway, yeah, so the, Channel 9 um, uh, played only a small clip from the interview that they did with Tom Sewell, but Sewell himself posted, uh, like he filmed the interview on his end, 
and post the entire thing to his Telegram channel, which is where uh, Nazis like to hang out these days. Um, one nice detail is that he got a special little haircut for his interview. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he got a fresh do, which tells you a lot about what his aims and goals are, right? You know, I mean, this is a guy who he's about getting attention. Like that, and that's what this is, this, this is all about. That's why giving him an interview is just such a fucking awful yeah, idea yeah. because it is exactly what he wants. And like, I'm sorry, a current affair, but none of your journalists actually have the capability to make this guy look nearly as bad as you yeah. need him to yeah. in order to in any way justify putting him on the air, which is why they only play a few seconds of the interview where Sewell is kind of like, he's combative. He basically refuses to like... He, he refuses to apologize for, like, viciously attacking the security guard. Um, and then Channel 9 kind of, like, it kind of cuts off the mm-hmm, interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I've seen some clips from the full Tom Sewell interview. And one thing that really struck me is just how fucking quickly he pivots to absolute kook shit. Like... They're literally like 90 seconds into the conversation before he starts talking about how psychology is a Jewish conspiracy designed to culturally undermine the white man. Like, I mean, it's not called the Jewish science for nothing, Zach. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. But yeah, I mean, these guys are just, they're totally fucking um, disconnected from reality. Um, And, but so like there's this decision, I suppose, made by a current affair, like, oh, we're not going to put all this really harmful awful stuff that he's saying into the interview but then what you end up with is this relatively like stock standard combative a current affairs interview where the guy's like you guys are bullies you you're not real journalists leave me alone and that's it and it's like you could be interviewing one of the various other like you know people that you attack as a uh as a tabloid news program like there there ultimately appears to be no material difference Whereas if you, like, actually listen to a few more seconds of what Sewell says, like, he just reveal- reveals himself to be just an absolute kook. Like, very, is, very quickly. It is truly incredible how quickly the, like, reasonable parts deteriorate. Like, not that any part of Nazism is reasonable, but, like, you know, there's... Obviously, they have messaging that they give to, like, the outside and, like, the people who aren't part of the group yet. And, you know, the Nazis talk about uh, hiding their power level or whatever. That's, like, a Nazi phrase, meaning not showing how extremely Nazi you are. But they can't do it for very long uh, because their, like, entire worldview is just, like cracked it's it's like yeah there's no way to encounter for them to encounter the world without being like oh that's jews you know yeah without being without a huge amount of like self-control and exactly but like i think it's probably important to point out that this is specifically sewell's tactic like he in founding you know in changing the name of the lad society and in you Mm. know creating this national socialist network like his explicit intent is to be like i am not hiding my power level anymore yeah and he yeah he thinks that the kind of aspiration to mainstream legitimacy that was embodied by people like blair cottrell going and doing interviews at least ostensibly yeah yeah exactly i'm trying to draw people in that way he was like no it's bullshit we just need to go all out and say you know exactly the fuck nazi things that we believe which Um, is interesting because as tom tanaki points out in his videos about tom sewell um sewell like didn't mean or 
Tom Tanaki reckons he didn't intend to assault the security guard and that that's actually not part of his plan or platform and that Tom Tanaki reckons he just got too angry and punched a dude without thinking yeah. about it, basically. Um, yeah, go go check out Tom Tanaki's vids on it. They're really good. Yeah, and, like, and that, that sort of hair trigger mm. um, physical aggression, that just, like, rank anger that underlie that, that that is the underbelly of all of these guys like personas i mean it, it tells you a lot about the connection between like toxic masculinity and racism this guy's a perfect embodiment of that like he's just clearly so fucking afraid so like he's he he feels so small and powerless and he's just raging about that and mm. constantly right on the edge of, of like, a furious, violent outburst. Um, and this fucked up, complete nonsense ideology is his one way of trying to establish a little bit of control, I guess, around his surroundings. But it's yep. just, like, yeah, really bad guy. Anyway, a current affair shouldn't have given him the interview. Uh, also, he should uh, be fucking in jail. Of... He assaulted a dude on camera. Yeah, and all of the news reports about this being, like, uh, having to say allegedly, it was like, it's literally like you're playing a video clip of him punching the guy above the, like the, <laughs> the news word story. allegedly. Yeah. 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 It's mind blowing to me. Anyway. Um, as I said, Ana media is good media for this dude. Yep. There's been a spike in membership in his telegram channel. This is very not good. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, surely our next, our next Nazi subject will be way could better. Be, yeah. It could be any worse. Um, Oh, wait, uh, <laughs> So the next thing I wanted to touch on is that the base is now recruiting in Australia. Um, the base, if you don't know, is a serious militant white supremacist terrorist organization. Uh, I'm talking about like weapons training camps in rural United States. Serious. Like these guys are not after a public profile uh, like your Tom Sauls or your Blair Cottrells. They're secretive, security conscious. They are avowed accelerationists whose members have been arrested for fucking vandalizing uh synagogues yep, and yep. planning actual literal terrorist attacks and like you know acquiring materials to make explosives like their aim is explicitly to start a race war um their name which i always think is an interesting detail mm. is one of the translations of al-qaeda one of the potential translations of uh, of al-qaeda so that al-qaeda is a major inspiration for these guys which is Curious. Anyway, so... This is just the, a side note, um, Zach, but, uh, yeah. you know, the three-body problem, which I hassled you into reading ages ago, but in, yeah. in one of the sequels, um, there's, like, a cameo from um, Osama bin Laden. He's never named. He's just, like, a terrorist who lives in a cave in Afghanistan, and, like, oh. these guys go and, like, chat to him, being like, so how did you get everyone to um do your things? Uh, so, and that's like the, uh, the, you know, US Army is going to him for help. Uh, but it makes sense that Nazis also were like, hey, they, uh, they did some uh, good terrorism. We could, uh, we could do some of that. Yeah, and I mean, there's a huge amount of, um, like, political and rhetorical overlap between... White supremacists like, and, like, Islamist supremacists or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so this was a story by ABC journalist Alex Mann um, on a show called Back- Background Briefing, which mm-hmm. is one of the best ABC radio shows, at least yep. from what I've heard. Yep. I'm not a big um, RN drive head like you are, Noon, but, you know, from what I've heard, Background Briefing seems to do good work. They do. Um, 
So this group, the base, um, they're mostly active in the States. Their leader was recently revealed to be um, an ex-security contractor who's now living in Russia, a guy called uh, Ronaldo Nazaro. Uh, but his identity was secret for years and years. Um, like, these guys really do keep their shit fairly locked down, or at least they have until recently. Um, his, uh, this, this guy, Ronaldo Nazaro's identity was revealed by another Australian journal, a guy called Jason Wilson, who does um, good reporting on uh, far-right extremism in the States at the moment. Um, so the base is now starting to recruit in other countries, including Australia. And we know this because secret re recordings of recruitment interviews huh, have been leaked. Hmm. Yeah. So I did say these guys are very security conscious, but clearly not security conscious enough. Sure. Um, they've been infiltrated and somebody who's just, uh, hitting, re hitting record on all of their, uh, group chats. Um, so, uh, this background beefing story is based on, uh, the five uh, applicant interviews that happened for that, that were uh, conducted for Australian applicants, cool. uh, and it's just like hours and hours and hours of tape. Um, and the questions are stuff you can pretty much imagine. You know, uh, what race are you? Have you read Mein Kampf? Uh, there was a sentence in the the. I think this is actually a joint investigation potentially with um, Bellingcat. Sorry. No, yeah. with the Sydney Morning Herald okay. uh, from memory. At least they put out a story about it at the same time. And they said uh, one of the other questions was asking the applicants whether they had read a book that the Sydney Morning Herald has chosen not to name. And I can only assume that that's the Turner Diaries, which if you don't know what that is, go and listen to uh, Robert Evans's audio book, The War on Everyone, yeah, to it's get really good. a background on that. It's quite upsetting, but it's very good. It It is deeply upsetting, but I think it's important to... Um, yeah know what we're dealing with here yeah uh there's also questions about uh the interview questions about you know military experience uh how they feel about a quote political solution to I, do you, you know, think that we can vote out the non-whites or something is that yeah like, could, you, do you think we can vote our way into a white ethno state yeah um hmm, 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 hmm. don't worry we can certainly try for we're years already and years there and years. um <laughs> <laughs> yeah chill out guys uh, so yeah, as I said, there are uh, five. There were five Australian applicants, um, and uh, one guy who's kind of acting as a recruiter here. Uh, and one of the interesting details is that one of the applicants at one point ran for federal parliament. Can you guess for, for which party, Noon? Huh? Was it the Green hmm. Zack? <laughs> <laughs> Good guess. Uh, uh, no, it's the political rivals. The Pauline Hanson One Nation Party. So this guy was, yeah, it was Surprise. a Pauline Hanson was a One Nation candidate. Uh, I mean, a dude I'm, named Dean Smith. I'm, I'm kind of glad it was One Nation and not the Liberal Party, but you know, it's all bad. I mean, it would definitely. I would not have been surprised no. if it was the Nats for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, because the Young Nationals have been already infiltrated, infiltrated by, by Nazis. Yeah. 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 Uh, so Ugh. yeah, this guy he didn't actually end up. Going through or completing his application for the base, but like, yeah, you know, it's actual people who want to commit murder who are candidates for the One Nation Party. Like, I just, that's an interesting little detail. Uh -huh. um, and important to note as well, a lot of these people applying for the base are children, actual teenagers. 16, 17-year-old kids who are like, yeah, I will definitely join up for your race war once um, I turn 18. Yeah, uh, which is... that's right. This guy who was like, oh, I've nearly finished high school and then I'll have more time to be a Nazi. Exactly. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it was deeply, deeply fucking upsetting stuff. And actually, the second part of this... It's a, it's a two-part 
uh, series, um, the background briefing is doing. The second part has just been released this week. I haven't listened to it yet, cool. but it has. Uh, the Alex Mann tracks down two of these kids. Yeah, wow. Um, and interviews them, and apparently they talk to him about you know the process. Interesting. Um, so that cool. Yeah, I haven't will... listened to either of them. I'll give that a, a go when we're finished recording. It's yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good journalism. It's really hard to report on this stuff. Yeah. Um, I would say that Alex Mann is probably uh, demonstrating how to do this as opposed to a current affairs uh, good example of exactly how not to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, just while we're on the topic of recruiting kids, that's also what Tom Saul does. Um, you know, yeah. He essentially just brainwashes... They're either like just fucking brainwashing children. Yeah. yeah, it's just straight up cult shit. I mean, you know... I don't think anybody listening to this show needs to be convinced that um, these white Nazis supremacist are recruiters are bad. Yeah. But yeah, they're bad. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, again, what's the moral of this segment? Um, uh, there are militant white supremacists actively recruiting radicalized children and young men to terrorist organizations in this country. This is very fucking serious shit. Like in combination, don't with worry, Zach. This National Socialist Network. The uh, the federal government has put. A, uh, a white supremacist organization on their terrorist watch list. It's one that doesn't exist in Australia and has no recruitment in Australia and uh, won't make a difference to these people who are recruiting Nazis in Australia. But don't worry, it's on the list. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know how much better I would feel if... ASIO did have the base on their list. Right. Uh, Tom you know also I mean? did a thing recently about... Tom Tanaki, I should say. Uh, recently did a, <laughs> a post about, like, we should stop expecting ASIO to solve our white supremacy problem. Which, like, given that ASIO is also a white supremacist organization that's run by the Liberal Party that's also a white supremacist organization, like, yeah, that's a pretty good point. Uh, but, yeah, like... Not I, a bad call. I think Tom was also saying, like, we need, like, grassroots resistance so that ASIO isn't our main port of call. Yeah, but... um. Yeah, I mean, ideally we wouldn't have white supremacists radicalized 17-year-olds for these people to recruit in the first place. Yeah. Um, look, that's a big, very, very big question. But look, bottom line, we should be very fucking worried about this. It's real and serious. Nazis are out there doing Nazi shit every day. It's really fucking bad, you guys. Um, yeah. I guess really that's the point. That's that's the moral of this segment. All right. Well, now it's time for shit post of the week. All right. Well, this time, uh, this week for shit post of the week, we're awarding it to Travis DeVries, um, who posted this uh, image in Ospol shit posting with the caption, "I don't want to nominate myself for shit post of the week, but someone has to." That's true. Someone did have to. And it was you, Travis. So those of you who don't know, Travis is one half of the Bro Originals podcast. Uh, strongly recommend going and giving them a listen. Uh, we collaborated with them on Megapod at the end of last year. Uh, and, and they do good shit. So it's, it's Travis and his brother, Texas. Um, they answer questions, um, give insight sometimes. And uh, yeah, this week, um, uh, one of the questions, uh, uh, the, the caption uh, on this, this image uh, People have been saying to us for a while now, why don't you two brothers, Texas and Travis DeVries, get into politics? They say, you'd listen to the people, not like those bloody bludges in Parliament now, and run for Prime Minister. And if you get in, I'll shout you a bourbon. Well, we've decided that today we're launching our new party, Bro Originals First Nation Party, because we were here first, and first is better than one. Uh, Yeah, so Bro Originals, they've been off for a couple of months. Uh, They've just done their first episode in a while, um, and uh, yeah, they talk about... um, First Nation. They were also thinking about naming the party 
uh, Wuggles first, um, <laughs> which for those of you who don't know, that's like white, white people. And the joke was, you know, they'll come first after us. Or like, uh, there, there was another one, there was some Gamilaroi saying Travis had along the lines of like, the person who goes first wakes up the snake and the second one gets bit or something. Anyway, uh, yeah. First Nation. Uh, the I political think, well, party you don't know you needed. Yeah, you're leaving out, I think, a crucial detail here, which is the absolutely immaculate Photoshop that uh, right, that Travis true. has done of the uh, of the First Nation logo, which is like, it looks exactly like the One Nation the logo, One Nation. but it's a First yeah. Nation. This is yeah. why it's important to up your graphic design skills, guys. It just takes your meme game to another level. So, I just, yeah, I just, so I, I just the wanted Southern to shout Cross that out. on the first. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. very good. Yeah, Quality posting, really good. Travis. Thank you very much. And I, I'm glad Bro Originals is back. So. Yeah. Uh, Chronically Fully Sick is also back. And also, nice. uh, Loud, Angry, and Not Sorry. I think they took a break for a week and are back now mm-hmm. um, with an interview with Sam Castro. So, uh, yeah, that's right. All of yeah, the Sam Megapod Castro, squad are back and firing on all cylinders this week. A lot of podcasts yep. to to smash. I hope you've got a long drive ahead of you or some chores to do because <laughs> you got content coming your way. Uh, but in Alex, the meantime, are you going to mow your lawns? I hope so. As one of our listeners who listens while he mows his lawns, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, now we're going to move on to you fucked up. I guess maybe we should put a warning that the next few stories feature like discussions of sexual harassment, really misogynist shit being said, said by politicians. Um, so yeah, j- j- I guess just a heads up on that. Um, That's going to be basically the rest of the show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And honestly, we t- went back and forth a bit about whether to put this under you fucked up because it's kind of flippant. Um, well, but I this think is actually it's a, a serious story. Problem. With our we, entire show, you, all of our well, stings are kind of jokes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and all the stuff we talk about is horrible. Horrible. So, yeah. yeah I don't know if there was ever going to be a good way to include this, but mm. but here we are. So Who fucked up? Yeah. Well, look, it's the reason we really put it in You Fucked Up is that the awardee this week is long-term fuck-up extraordinaire and multiple winner of this segment, Andrew Leeming. Uh, but it's not really a fuck-up so much as, like, severe criminal stalking and sexual harassment. So, yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, Andrew Leeming, he's a Liberal MP. He's been accused of a whole series of really fuck behaviour. Um, it started off with two women who live in his seat, so his constituents who he's supposed to represent, who are involved in community organizations and trying to talk to him in his role as their representative in parliament. Um, one of them, he falsely and not just falsely, but like completely baselessly, he just like made this up with no even hint of a reason. He accused a woman of embezzling money from a homeless charity she runs called Night Ninjas. Uh, And when she told him that she was suicidal as a result of his repeated harassment, he said, this is a quote, You got nasty. Threaten self-harm. Unfortunately for you, I make the rules and you follow them. Oh, Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, it's just... He's such a slimy fucking bastard. It's so cruel. Like, oh, you're suicidal? Well, you have to follow the rules I make. Jesus like, what Christ. the fuck, man? What level yeah. of fucking just evil shit? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, he also allegedly stalked another woman, seemingly because her husband was on the local council 
and disagreed with him about things. Uh, disagreed with Laming about things. Um, and so this is a quote from an article in Mamma Mia. She alleged that he requested her timetable from the school where she works. Right, he called up her school and was like, "Hi, I'm a member of Parliament. Could you tell me the timetable of your staff member so I can stalk her?" Uh, okay, and and covertly took photographs of her in a public park, which he published to social media. And in this post, he uh, this is not a quote anymore. This is quite finished. In this post, he heavily implies that this woman or the people that she was with in the photo are pedophiles. Right? He's like, "There's no reason for these people to be in this park. What are they doing, creepy Jones or whatever?" Like, like while he secretly like, takes photos of them from behind a fucking bush. Yeah, and, and and when he was, like, asked about this, he was like, oh, I wasn't taking a photo of her. I was taking a photo of my family who was standing in front of me, uh, between me and her. But he posted this being like, he doesn't mention his family at all. He's like, who's this woman creeping around in this kid's park? Why? Um, like, <laughs> there's something, you know, this stuff is, in a way, not surprising except that he's doing it himself. Like, mm. I feel like most other MPs would at least delegate this kind of stuff to a staffer, right? Right, you know? right, right. So one thing that gets mentioned repeatedly in the articles about this is that ages and ages ago, like in 2014 or something, uh, Andrew Laming wrote a guide for Liberal Party members uh, telling them how to interact with constituents on social media. That's right. Um and he was like, if you en engage honestly with their concerns, most of the inappropriate behavior will cease. And then you're like, oh, you're stalking people. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, uh, that's since... so funny, just coming from the mashing lefties guy. Um, right. I was, uh, that's... while I was away, my, like this, these stories about Lamy started breaking and I was with my family and my mom was like, who is this guy? And I was like, oh, fuck, you don't know about Andrew Laming? Ah, well, let me tell you about a little page called Simpsons Against the Liberals. And he is literally, yeah. like, fucking best known for getting into a shit-posting war with a meme, Simpsons with meme page. Like, yeah. that's his fucking legacy. Well, now his legacy is going to be all this extraordinarily disgusting sexual harassment that he's done. But, like... Yeah. It's, like... It makes sense to me, right? Like, the the line between harass... Well, trying to harass shitpost... Like, obviously, he got completely destroyed in that posting war because he's one middle-aged man against, like, the biggest progressive shitposting page in the country. So, like... He, but, like, the aggressive behavior where his own behavior is never questioned and, like being a dick is his solution to people disagreeing with him. Like, that's on a mild scale in Simpsons Against the Liberals. Like, mm. But it makes perfect sense then that he, like, stalks women who he feels are politically not aligned with him. Like, yeah. it's the same... <sighs> same shit. Okay, well, since these two accusations came out, there's been a flood of people complaining about him. Uh, mostly no one there is bad this, too. There's a lot of him being rude and aggressive to random strangers slash constituents slash voters and also basically refusing to do his job as an MP. So, for example, he refused to help people apply for border permits during coronavirus be uh, to go and visit dying parents and then was, like, a dick to them when they were like, hey, would you mind helping us do this application? Um, no, because that, his job is yelling at people on social media and in real life. Like, his job is to yep. be an aggressive asshole. That's how he sees it. I saw some yep. people posting on Twitter, like, how does this guy have the time to do all this, like, horrible posting 
and also be an MP. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. No, no. They're one and the same thing. <laughs> the posting is the yeah. being the MP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but there was one much worse story than these other two, or arguably much worse, um, which is that he uh, took a photo of a woman who he didn't know while she was bending over and her underwear was exposed. Uh, and she was actually working at a cafe. She was bending over, filling up a fridge with soft drinks, and according to uh, this woman and one of her uh, co-workers, the manager, quote, forced Andrew Lamming to delete the photo. Um, and look, I've this been This is trying... the caliber of fucking people that we're dealing with here. Like, right. What? Um, I just... I, I... <laughs> sorry, sorry, go on. I've been trying not to pass on what he says because he's a terrible person no one needs to know what his like excuses for this bullshit are um but the his bullshit excuse for this one is just so bad it's like the fucking stalking one right he's like oh it's just too good photo of my family it's like there's zero percent chance that's the motivation here and he's done the same shit with this Photo of this woman's underwear. Um, he says he was taking a photo of someone working hard in difficult situation and being a good employee. Cool. Okay. Well, so moving on. Like, what are the what are the consequences of these accusations? Which he's basically not even bothered to deny. Like, he didn't deny he took that photo. He's just like, oh, it wasn't because I'm a creep. It was for some clearly bullshit reason that I think is meant to be less creepy. Uh, like, he hasn't denied stalking these women. He's apologised in Parliament. And what are the consequences? He's going to counselling and will not recontest the next election. So, basically nothing, right? Like, that, keep, keep your job that, until it's time to take your pension. Yeah. And why is that, Zach? The reason is... <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to tell me. Extremely rhetorical. Yeah, extremely (laughs) rhetorical. Uh, Well, aside from the fact that the entire government is, like, full of misogynists and they don't give a fuck, Mm -hmm. um, they have a one-seat majority and literally can't afford to lose anyone for any reason. Um, Uh, But also they're not allowed to admit that. Yes, they have to to be like, he's learned his lesson. I took him into my office for a dressing down. His constituents elected him. For a full term. So we have to respect their wishes. Like, did they fucking elect him to sexually harass women? Did they, uh, like, did they still want him there? Yeah. Like, is that and his job? Are you respecting the wishes of the electorate? I... <laughs> Ridiculous. There was also the, like, he did, uh, you know, he made a public apology. And then, like, a matter of like hours, hours later. later. <laughs> yeah. On Facebook posted being like, yeah, I didn't even know what I was uh, apologizing for, lol. Like, yeah, well, he said, like, I was happy to do it because, like, everyone's apologizing these days or something. He was like, in the current climate, I'm happy to do it. I I just don't know what it was for. Yeah. Yeah, they're not sending us their best, are they? All right. The libs. Should we move on to our similar plus take? Yeah. It was the best of takes. It was the blurst of takes. You stupid monkey. Um, I'll try to get through this one pretty quickly because, I don't know, it's just more more of the same shit, really, in, in many ways. Um, but basically, uh, Sue Hickey, who is the Speaker of the Tasmanian Parliament and was until recently a member of the Tasmanian Liberals, used parliamentary privilege to accuse Liberal MP Eric 
Nazism doesn't run in the family, I swear, a bets of saying some truly, truly fucked things. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, Eric gonna... K, a bets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um... <laughs> Specifically, uh, Hickey says that uh, a bets said some very cooked shit about uh, the two highest profile stories of sexual assault in politics over the last two months. So when the, when the first when the Porter story was first breaking, and he hadn't yet been named as the rapist, mm-hmm. Hickey says that she asked Abetz whether this story about uh, you know a, a member of cabinet uh, raping someone was Porter, and Abetz said, "Not to worry, woman is dead, and the law will protect him." Um, Whoa. Then apparently he went on to talk about Brittany Higgins and said, "As for that Higgins girl, anybody who is so disgustingly drunk who would sleep with anybody." could have slept with one of our spies and put the security of our nation at risk. Like, what the you... fuck? These people are just... I haven't heard this fucking... shit. The... Oh, yeah. Whoa. They're just fucking cartoon villains. Like, what the hell, man? just couldn't write a more disgusting person. <laughs> in... Like, th- these people are just... They're, they're so fucking... Every ounce of their beings are reprehensible it's just fucking textbook slut shaming total disregard for the victims of assault which and it's also exactly how we all know politicians discuss this shit in private like anytime that any private conversation about this has been leaked it's always just like them just be like yeah i really hate that we have to deal with this now i don't give a fuck about these people's well-being at all like that's what they all think um yep uh, so Betts obviously says that this is all a lie. He says that Hickey is motivated by revenge for being disendorsed as a liberal candidate. Um, which, like, yeah, that's the only possible reason that a woman might complain about a senior member of the government uh, uh, slut shaming and um, ignoring sexual assault. Well, if you—that's the uh, only possible if, reason. If uh, if you like Erica Betts, only ever do something specifically for personal gain. You just don't have yeah. the imagination to possibly picture yeah. somebody doing anything for any other reason. That's uh, a really good and point. And also because he doesn't see any any problems with that stuff that he said. Allegedly. That, like, he's like, well, why should, would she even, like, try to weaponize this against me? I just said normal stuff that a cool guy would say. Anyway, mm-hmm. but the leader of the Tasmanian Liberals, who apparently is a guy called Peter Goodwin, I'll just take their fucking word for it, um, said that Hickey raised the conversation with him at the time. So... You know, right, right. Goodwin has now apparently written to Morrison uh, and, quote, requested that he consider the matters raised. So, mm-hmm. you know, just like for Andrew Lamy, I'm sure that there will be robust consequences for Erica Betts. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, because Lamy got sent to... Uh... Counseling. Yeah, no, uh, empathy training, right? Y- empathy yeah. coaching. I yeah. I think he might have gone to a... I think he's got a couple things happening, but yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that they'll completely remake his character uh, and turn him into not a complete walking turd of a human. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, like, the this stuff that Abet said, like, those are just expressions of the exact kinds of beliefs that are the literal reason that he's in the position that he is. Like, mm-hmm. he's just not mm-hmm. supposed to be so obvious about it. <laughs> that That's the only kind of caveat there. Like... He's not going to get punished for this shit because say, like these kinds of things are exactly why he is where he is. So, yep. Anyway, that was just a little fucked one that I wanted to, wanted to touch on. Um 
All right, so now we're getting on to our mains. Um, it's not going to be a super long one. It's about the cabinet reshuffle this week uh, and, you know, some kind of associated stuff about Parliament and the, like, sexual harassment and assault and so on that's been going on there. Um, but, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to start with this reshuffle. Uh, and I, I'm sorry, Zach, but I... Reshuffled beans? Reshuffled beans. Oh, like refried beans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that... We are no? Yeah, yeah. It's fine. I like refried beans. Uh, I, I, I don't really bit anyway. Sorry. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. We don't have a name for this. Reshuffle? Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll come up with something. All right. So... That's uh, better. That's better. <laughs> before I start, I do actually want to tell everyone to go and listen to The Party Room this week. Uh, and Zach, you don't like The Party Room. You don't like PK, even though you, you, you referenced her earlier. But, um, you know, they, they're some of the country's leading journalists. They're two powerful women who have good insights into this stuff, um, uh, both the political and the, like sexism stuff um so yeah mm-hmm. go, go listen to this week's party room episode but okay. i will tell you about I it will. anyway great um but before i get in there, i want to say the idea of a reshuffle is very odd uh like is there any other workplace this is an honest question that might be i don't haven't worked in many places so that i love honest questions yeah the, and that's true you haven't yeah yeah so i'm completely willing to be wrong about this workplace related <laughs> question but is there any other workplace where people basically randomly get reassigned to entirely unrelated jobs like just for example karen andrews has been promoted from minister for industry to minister for home affairs and what does deregulating industry have to do with counterterrorism and immigration Nothing. It's a completely unrelated job. And, like, can you imagine going to a counterterrorism <laughs> managerial position, like the top of fucking ASIO, and being like, oh, yeah, well, I have a lot of experience in, like, hiring coal workers or whatever. Like, <laughs> it makes me mad thinking about all of these jobs on Seek or whatever that are like, you need three years of relevant experience, where there are plenty of very intelligent people who know how to use technology and could learn the details of that job in like a month or two but for these fucking kings of australia the 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 government they get promoted just because they didn't assault anyone in their previous role right like that's almost literally the only qualification needed that's my little pre-story rant so the the real news in the reshuffle is that there's going to be a women's issues task force um so this is going to be sort of like a sub cabinet so cabinet all of the ministers come together and discuss policies and this women's issue task force the idea is basically that any policy that gets considered by cabinet will then be considered by this task force to make sure that it's like good for women basically um and so there are three new roles being created for this task force jane hume is going to be the minister for women's economic security and Rustin is going to be the Minister for Women's Safety, and Amanda Stoker is going to be the Assistant Minister for Women. So there's the three new oh, girls. That is just such a nightmare lineup yeah. of people. Yeah, and so all of the women, all of the other women who are in Cabinet will also be in the task force, plus these three new roles. Uh, and then there'll also be Scott Morrison, the Deputy PM Michael McCormack, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg, and Finance Minister Simon Birmingham. And look, this is not an inherently terrible idea, 
And a lot of people have been remembering this week, have been remembering about Tony Abbott when he made himself the Minister for Women. Right. And obviously, the we Prime all Prime Minister for Women. Uh, Prime Minister yeah. for Women, that's right. Yeah. Obviously, and we now all we've got a new him. Prime Minister for Women. <laughs> It's well, a, yeah, no, it's a, no, no, no. It's a position he, with a whole, with a, with a, with a long and storied history. He, well, because Scott Morrison in a press conference referred to, I can't remember who it is. Uh, it's is it? uh, Maurice Payne. Maurice Payne, who's the new minister for women. Uh, yeah. Sorry, she's still she's a minister n- for women. The, she's effectively going to be the prime minister for women, a position that has only ever once been held before. And yeah, yeah. And Tony Abbott. <laughs> well, well, Scott Morrison said that in an interview. He's like, oh, she's going to be kind of the prime minister for women. And as the party room pointed out, within a minute, like later in that interview, he started walking that back because he realized that implicitly that makes him the prime minister for men, right? Yes. So, yeah, yeah. So, look, he's not good off the cuff. No, no, he's not. No, Scott Morrison uh, is not good off the cuff. If we learnt one thing over the last he's month. not good at talking. Yeah. Like, even his prepared speeches are not That's not his strong point. Really, his strong no. point is not talking. That's why he was such a good minister for immigration, minister for social services. Yes. And, and before he became PM. Like, anyway. anyway. Yeah. No, and all of the attempts over the last few weeks where his like team have given him a new set of talking points or instructed him to cry or whatever yeah. and sent him out to try Say and like crap. put a cat yeah to to put like a dampener on this whole situation he just immediately fucking makes things worse by like yep. for example like making un- completely unfounded allegations of sexual harassment against anonymous journalists. I am going to get to that story because, yeah. It's, oh, good, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Good. The, the, this mains is kind of loose. It was vaguely about the reshuffle, but then there's all this other stuff in it as well. So, yeah. I it's guess just about it's more broadly cabinet. about what, ha- yeah, what has the, like, what have the main political responses by the Liberal Party been to this, like, ongoing um, situation? situation. Yeah. Totally, yeah. So as I say, look, this task force is not an inherently bad idea. Clearly something needs to change at the upper echelons of the government. And, like, it's definitely an improvement compared to being like, oh, I'm the Prime Minister for Women or whatever. Like, he's actually, like, he's trying to do literally something different. Um, Disagree. He's not trying to do anything. Yeah, no. fair enough. No, no, no. This is the same as saying prime minister for women. It's like, also the just same because as like this thing has been created doesn't mean that he's gonna. Yeah, there's no mechanism it's, to ensure that he's going to have to listen to. It's the essentially they give a deflection him. mechanism, so he can yeah, be like, exactly. "Oh, well, these women said it was fine," and and that's I think another real problem with this is that sexism, sexual harassment, rape, misogyny. These are men's problems. The, the, yeah. We're the Excellent ones who are doing point. it. Yeah. We're the ones that need to fix it. We shouldn't be saying, hey, women, could you stop us raping people, please? Like, um, like, and, and, and this women's task force, like, yes, listening yeah. to women is really important. And if I had any faith that this task force was, as you said, actually going to have any control or that the people in it, the women or otherwise in it, had the best interest of the country at heart, you know, both of those might make me more hopeful about it. But as it is, I'm not very excited. And it's all the same people who've been sitting around the cabinet table for the last five years or whatever, right? Like, it's not like they're getting a bunch of, like, new third wave feminists to come and advise the government. It's the same conservatives. We're talking about, like actual noted on record transphobe Amanda Stoker. We're talking about Anne Rustin, who has repeatedly undermined the economic security of the poorest women in the yep. country. Like and you know th- 
it's a it's a real rogues gallery um and that all of the evidence goes to suggest that this task force is going to be even more useless than you might assume just from knowing that it was Scott Morrison's plan <laughs> for dealing with this. So, uh, and my evidence for that is Jane Hume, who, remember, new minister for women's economic security, okay, said that the budget can't be looked at, quote, through a gender lens. Uh, so you might recall... What, what happened to women use roads, guys? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they do, Which, by the but... way, they don't actually use roads. Yeah. Well. <laughs> it's like, like, no matter how you try to approach this, that's terrible. Like, you... It's just, <laughs> like, the budget was sexist. It was seen through a gender lens as being sexist against women, but you can't... But now the... The woman, who's the Minister for Women's Economic Security, is saying, like, we're not even going to consider the budget in this task force. Yeah. It's not relevant. No, it's, it's like, it's, the budget... It's your favourite topic, the invisible ideology. Like, it has True. been... The, the, the budget is concocted and created through a heavily gendered lens. Right, that right. You just, you just pretend it doesn't exist. Oh, that's just you... economics. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right, so that's the uh, that's the task force. There are some other big stories in this reshuffle. Um, big one is about Christian Porter, who was the attorney general, and um, obviously there's this issue when he's been accused of really serious crimes and is now suing people for defamation about it. Being in the attorney general's suing role, the national broadcaster specifically, yes, probably a, a salient detail. Uh huh. Um, but like he would have basically had to recuse himself from almost the entire job. So, like, um, this is a common thing when ministers have uh, conflicts of interest. They'll be like, oh, someone else is going to have to, like, we'll give this to the assistant attorney general for this one thing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But because it's like you're a criminal or, like, you're an alleged criminal who might have to go to court, maybe you shouldn't be in charge of the entire government's, like, legal decision-making process. So... He basically, it was not... They seemed to be ready and willing to let that happen, though. Oh, like, that absolutely. Was the I mean, Initially. it's the same with Andrew Leeming. They literally can't bring themselves to imagine letting Christian Porter leave the government. Um, so... Like, what the fuck, guys? So, anyway. so here we are. Yeah. Yep. So he, he, he has lost the Attorney General job, but he is staying in Cabinet... What the fuck? Um, he's taken Karen Andrews' old job of industry, so yeah, hopefully he won't have to recuse himself from as much. Like that's the idea. But like, what like fucking disgusting thought process led to him? Like, let alone staying in Parliament, let alone staying in the party, staying in cabinet. Like, gross. Gross. Because well, they like the line is that he's innocent and that he's never done anything wrong, so they can't yep. in any way. They can't reprimand act him like or... he, yeah, they can't act like he's done anything wrong. And that's why, like, you know, when Porter was giving that his press conference where he was refuting the allegations, like he had to go all in and say that not only is this wrong and that I'm a victim here, but actually I'm a hero for refuting these allegations. Like he has to yep. think to himself, what would somebody who is actually innocent act like? And the answer is like, well, I guess you have to really go all in. You can't half-ass being innocent. You have to, like, you have to say, 
this is a fucking massive miscarriage of justice and is actually yeah. going to undermine the very legal foundations of our nation. Yeah. And it's like, oh, bro, I mean, like, maybe if bro. you were innocent, you could, like, go get it tested in court and show you're innocent. Anyway, like, I, I realize that's. I am. Not I am. Best. I'm suing the ABC. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Not, not the same thing? <laughs> ah, okay. Hmm. hmm. Um. Yeah, surely as Attorney General, he knows about the truth defense, but anyway. Um, the the other cabinet minister that everyone's Again, been... what would an innocent guy do? I have to pretend. Yeah. He's just bluffing all the way up until he can't anymore. Yeah. yeah. So the, the other cabinet rapist. minister that everyone's been talking about is Linda Reynolds, who was Brittany Higgins' boss and who called her a lying cow. Um, she's been moved out of defense uh, and is now going to be the Minister for Government Services and NDIS, which... Okay. Oh, great. Like, see, none of these people should have any of these jobs is kind of the yes. problem I'm having yes. right now. Yeah. You know, people are very outraged about, and I know you'll probably get onto Cash as AG. Uh, it's next um, on my list, yeah. Yeah, and people are like, oh my God, this is outrageous. She has no relevant experience. She's going to do a terrible job. And what you've just expressed is like, well, none of these people should have any power and many of them well quite aside from that it's like what i said about the against the, the interests of their portfolio yeah 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 but it's this, as i say about the shuffle it's like i mean i look i looked this up because like i i was not sure what michaelia cash's relevant experience for attorney general is she has got a postgraduate certificate in legal practice or something like that and she's got an honorary law degree from some university so she's clearly like done six months of uni about law oh, uh, uh, talking about bottom of the barrel yeah like they just have no they've got no nowhere else to go she, she's like, also going to be the new minister for industrial relations which yeah if you recall she's been the minister for jobs uh and that has not gone super well uh but let's put her in charge of industrial relations uh yeah well, she has more experience ruining jobs than she does Ye- ruining the law yeah 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 that's yeah a great point. So, <laughs> that one actually makes sense to me yeah yeah so Stuart robert uh who listeners will recall from us reading his book about jesus uh is going to take her old job of minister for employment uh and he was the ndis guy so linda reynolds is taking that job uh peter dutton is taking the defense portfolio which is what he's always wanted uh this is kind of like a i'm i'm really sorry i'm sure a lot of people are going to be angry with me for making this comment, but it's real like Snape defense against the dark arts hours. <laughs> um, so yeah, as, and as I mentioned, uh, Karen, Karen Andrews is going to take over his previous job of home affairs. It's been very funny. A lot of pro government reporting has been like, she'll be the first woman ever to take this role. It's like that. There's only been one person in this role up. Like it, Peter Dutton created this job. So it's yeah, not totally, like we've got historical a, gender parity on yeah. it. On it now. Uh, it also really thing. reminds me of that uh, that famous uh, Sam Wallman comic um, with the two people and there's a missile heading towards them and they're like they say the next one will be sent by a woman. Yep. yep. Um, um, and and Rustin is going to be the new minister for women's safety, as I mentioned. And uh, Morrison is also putting Melissa Price back in cabinet, so she's the minister for defense industry, which is obviously like conceptually junior to both the minister for defense and the minister for industry. She used to be in cabinet, and then he kicked her out of cabinet because, like, she's not senior enough. But now that he needs more women in cabinet, so he's letting her back in, even though her job hasn't changed. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, and, and okay. now he's back up to there's seven women in cabinet, which is how many he had when he first came into office. So, like, cool. Rechouffle. <laughs> Rechouffle. Exactly. Don't speak too loud or clap, otherwise the whole thing will come doubling down. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much it, hey? That's what happens to a souffle noon. They don't yeah, like yeah. loud noises. Is this analogy working? Uh, Guys, yeah. is this sorry, is this thing on? For some reason, I'm not getting the <laughs> laugh track. Okay. Uh, yeah, so like, <laughs> on some I'm level... Stung. I'm stung. <laughs> on some level, the cabinet reshuffle is important because it defines who is going to be fucking up which particular aspect of our country for the next year or so. But on another level, there's yeah, kind I mean, of we should know who, about the, who the people are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all no, West Wing well, yeah. bullshit. Like the, the the idea that this might solve some problems, the idea that reshuffles might help literally anything. It's all fucking political messaging bullshit. It's They're all woozle. criminals. It's a wuzzle. It's a woozle wuzzle. It's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Woo the shuffle. idea that this constant chain constitutes like a meaningful political response to like yeah. Just the these consistent and repeated allegations that your cabinet members are active violent misogynists and yep. rapists. Like they're all oh, yeah. fucking. Well, just criminals. give them a different job then. Yeah, well, that's it. It's like no, that is the the bottom line. That's the bottom line of the what's been happening over the last few weeks. It's just like we all already knew that politicians were a bunch of filthy, lying, literal criminals. They just haven't been able to hide it for the last few weeks. Yep. And that's... Yeah, anyway. Um, and, and move them around a bit. Spruce it up. Off you go. Whole new government. It'll be fine. New day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is kind of where we move out of the reshuffle and into the other stuff. Because, yeah, I, I kind of just want to talk about this issue of Scott Morrison being a huge fucking asshole misogynist who... As you said, Zach, as soon as he stops reading from the script, reveals how truly of a disgusting person he is. And so mm, this mm. week during a press conference, he, he cried. He said the word crap and then paused for a moment. So everyone realized that he'd said a, a, a bad word. And that's yeah. how important Christian Porter's and innocence is to him. And it was reported on specifically. Like people like Scott Morrison swore. Yep. Like this is how much... The he must really care about sexual violence. And and Sinker, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, oh yeah, he's so, so emotional. Scott Morrison barely holds it together during emotional press conference. Something we haven't <laughs> talked about on air, but like, he, there was a, there's this gif of him, of Scott Morrison in an interview saying, well, he's an innocent man. And then he does this little like disgusting, like little smirk. Um, that just like, ugh, like, ugh. yeah, I, I've said before it's in the show gross. that like, I'm not into like the drip space style. I personally dislike Morrison being the kind of center of my critique of him, but he is just like yeah. personally fucking revolting. <laughs> yep. Like, yep. I think we can acknowledge so- that. Um, whilst also <laughs> having a concurrent material analysis beyond the fact that I just want to smack him in the face every time I see him yep. open his mouth. 
Mm. So, Zach, um, maybe we can read out this next little couple of lines. Uh, would you like to be the prime Wait, minister or the journalist? I've heard this bit of tape so many times over the last couple of weeks. Oh, yeah? Um, <laughs> I mean, we don't have yeah, to s- um, say it. It's pretty horrible. No, it's, it's, look, it's, um, it is horrible. No, I think it's really revealing. Yeah, we'll do, let's do a little bit of um, press conference theatre. Right. Um, so, Andrew I'll Clennell. You, I'll let you kick it off. You can right, be... So, um, a- Andrew Clennell, Clennell, who's a, a Sky News journalist. And he said... Prime Minister, if you're the boss at a business and there's been an alleged rape on your watch and this incident we heard about last night on your watch, your job would probably be in a bit of jeopardy, wouldn't it? Doesn't it look like you've lost control of your ministerial staff? I did my best, um... Scomo. Well, I will let you editorialise as you like, Andrew, but if anyone in this room wants to offer up the standards in their own workplace by comparison, I would invite you to do so. Uh, well, they're better than these, I would suggest, Prime Minister. Well, let me take you up on that. Let me take you up on that. Right now, you would be aware, in your own organisation, that there is a person who had a complaint made against them for harassment of a woman in a woman's toilet, and that matter is being pursued by your own HR department. Okay, so, uh, that's... So someone's like, so, Scott Morrison, it seems like this has been a bad week for you in Parliament, and he's like, hmm, counterpoint... You have rapists working for you at Sky News. Well, maybe not rapists, but he said harassment of a woman in a woman's toilet, which really paints a very specific picture he's, of what he, was going on here, right? Like It, it really does. Yeah. He's trying to very directly tie this to sexual harassment that is happening within his own circle, right? Yeah. But what and is it was actually- un- kind of unusual that News Corp then... Actually, like immediately issued a repudiation, being like, "This is a, a lie, and this is not happening." Yeah, like so there is no incident that in any way resembles this occurring yes. at the moment. So it turns out Scott Morrison was talking about an incident where Samantha Maiden, who's a journalist who works for Sky News, um, who has been really she's at the-, the editor of news.com.au. Gotcha. Uh, and, and she has been really leading this reporting about Christian Porter and about Brittany yeah. Higgins. She's been doing a bunch of really amazing work. She's clearly fucking furious about it. Um, and this incident, she was a bit rude to another employee who was going for some job in, like, a journalist organization. Uh, like, th- yeah, so she, she, whatever. The, the, the actual history behind this incident is not important. There has been no complaint being pursued by the HR department. It did not occur in a bathroom, and it wasn't harassment. What happened was uh, someone went to the bus, and the bus got uh, Samantha Maiden in and was like, don't be rude to the other employees. Yeah, um, it was a bit, don't, don't yell at the, at the junior reporters, please. Yeah, and like... Um, yeah, but like, it's clearly very dishonest the way that Scott Morrison tried to present oh, these Oh, massively. Um, but it's really interesting. It I, you know, I don't want to say that Sam Maiden doesn't sound like she was being a bit of a dick here, but like... Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely not what Morrison was implying had happened at all. Totally. Uh, there's been a really... So this is kind of a sidebar of this, but uh, there was a piece in the AFR, the Australian Financial Review, about this issue and about Morrison saying this to Samantha Maiden. And there's been a really strong negative reaction to this article. And so, for example, The Guardian published a piece called AFR Hit Job on Samantha Maiden Backfires Spectacularly. And maybe they, maybe the AFR edited the article after this backlash. They did. But they, they did. Right, right. I read sense. the edited one as well. 
Yeah. And I saw quotes screen capped on Twitter earlier where they like talk about the way that her father died by suicide, I think, and like a bunch of other Whoa. fucked stuff like that. Whoa. Yeah. And so after this immediate like violent backlash to this absolutely horrible piece, which is just like very, very obviously attacking a female journalist for yeah. speaking out against misogyny in government yeah. like you just couldn't be any more naked than that well i'm glad they, yeah, they, they went back and the, edited the, the version that i read was like 85 percent being like oh she's a really good journalist and 15 percent of like she was a bit of a dick sometimes which like sure um so anyway well okay good, good to know that they edited it um that's an interesting little like sub story within this but whatever the point is morrison was weaponizing in what I can only assume was a deliberately misinterpreted issue. Uh, he was weaponizing it towards a news organization because he has extremely thin skin and can't deal with everyone being mad at him all the time. Um, and so instead of taking any responsibility or firing Christian Porter so that people aren't mad at him being complicit and actively shielding an alleged rapist, instead he accuses Sky News of harboring predators and whatever. And it's like, fuck Sky News uh fucknews.com yeah and i'm like like, i'm sure that there have been incidents of sexual harassment in the toilets no doubt like we're definitely you know in no way trying to say that that hasn't happened but yeah i mean this is incredibly indicative of morrison's attitude towards this whole thing which is that essentially that like you know misogyny and sexual harassment is just a part of everyday life at these organizations and if you're going to like make my life difficult by making this you know, essentially what he sees is like a piece of the furniture. This is just part of like, it's just, you know, this just happens. If you're going to make my life difficult for pointing out that it happens here, I'm going to repay you in kind because like yeah. nobody yeah. is, nobody gets away clean from this. Like if I'm going to suffer, you are too. As if like having like ha- working for an organization that has never had any kind of issues with that is a prerequisite for being able to tackle that issue happening yep. elsewhere. Yep. Like it's such a fucking completely disingenuous position, but yeah, it's, I mean, he's so it, it's indicative of the fact that he's far more invested in deflecting than he is in, in addressing. Yeah. I mean, that's, the uh, and that's, that's a good note on which to turn to the last little subsection of this reshoe um, which is, yeah, about, <laughs> Yeah, de- deflecting. I mean, that's really what deflection souffle or something. You know, like, the, the the reshuffle was to deflect. The women's task force is to deflect. This accusation about Sam Maiden is to deflect. And now this is another deflection, which isn't actually coming from um, the government per se. It's coming from former chief of staff of the Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, Peter Credlin, who you may recall, like, essentially ran the entire government for the period that Tony Abbott was in power and now has a show called... Credlin, Credlin on Sky News. So she has been yeah, a real fucking shining star of journalistic integrity. Yeah, and this yeah. is another example of that. She has been heavy quotation marks contributing to the national discourse uh, about sexual assault and harassment in Parliament by mentioning lurid rumors of gay orgies happening at Parliament. And Zach, we haven't talked about the stuff of masturbating on the dex- desk uh, or having oral sex, and obviously that's bad, and he shouldn't have done like. Like he, like that. Yeah, I mean that's, that's still sexual harassment. It is. It, it's borderline yeah. assault. Uh, it, yeah, it's gross. It's so fucking violating. It's non-consensual. Yeah. It, yeah. It's and, and it has a deep. It has deep misogynist undertones. Absolutely. You know, even though the person involved wasn't straight. Right. Absolutely. But I think it's 
so fucking gross for Credlin to compare consensual group sex with the sort gay group sex, whatever, with the sort of thing that Porter, Laming, and the staffer have been accused of. There's no, there's no comparison there, right? Like, no. The fact that it's those are two very different things. The fact like, that it's a gay orgy has nothing to do with it, right? Like she's saying, I heard people had consensual sex in a way that's kind of taboo. Um, and, like, the sexuality or kinks of the people involved aren't the issue. And, look, it's not... I'm not saying it's okay to have orgies at Parliament House. It's a place of work. No, look, don't f- don't fuck in your workplace. Yeah, I hire think a, a hotel. Canberra is full of hotels. Um, but for this very specific purpose as well. Yeah, is, yeah. Like, you know, I mean, obviously the fact that it's, like, uh, kind of taboo and breaking the rules is part of the experience here. But like, right, right. This is an ex- this is just you know, I, I, and the, like the power dynamics of bringing sex workers into Parliament House as well is like you know, like deeply fucked. Totally, uh, you but know, this on the is part just... of the people doing the hiring. But it's definitely a completely different thing yep. to sexual assault. Yeah. And, and, like, and Credlin is trying to compare them and trying to say, you shouldn't be worried about Christian Porter. You should be worried about these gay men having consensual sex. It's just like a straight dog whistle. Uh, and like, yeah, don't, don't have orgies at your place of work. <laughs> but also, I mean, unless Credlin can get everybody's consent to do it and it's all chill. You know, uh, like, like which clearly wasn't the case here because uh, no. there are these you know peripheral incidents where it's like the violation is the point. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, they're they're completely incapable. These conservatives of meaningfully or genuinely engaging with an issue, they're all just an opportunity for them to weaponize. Uh, a moment in the news cycle to uh, to promote their own completely fucked, bigoted agenda. Yep. Like, the fact that this... Like, it's just totally unsurprising that Credlin would use this as an opportunity to just, like, just be homophobic on a national news program instead of actually talking about what are the underlying political and gender dynamics mm-hmm. behind this stuff. Like, the, you know, it's a, it's a fucking farce. Well, that's the end of the mains. Uh, it was a bit loose uh, and all bad. So I hope you got something out of that. Okay, well, now we're going to move on to our next segment. AC? AB. AC, AB. And yet again, there's another story with content warnings for um, violence against trans people, basically. Uh, so this week it was Trans Day of Visibility, um, and obviously that's kind of a bittersweet day for a lot of people. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I know a lot of trans people who wish they didn't need to be visible, and I know a lot of trans people who wish they could be visible and, and be safe about that. So um, I hope all all of our trans listeners, you know, um, felt a little bit of solidarity that day, and we love you. Yeah, and um, I'm going to now move on to this really horrible story. So, 
2019, uh, September 2019, a Filipino trans woman named Melody Bruno was choked to death by a man named Ryan Toya, who was having sex with her at the time. And we reported on this at, at the time and since then. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, he was found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to 500 hours of community service. And then a couple days later, it was found that this sentence was not actually legal because manslaughter convictions in Australia must result in jail time. So disgustingly, the judge, a man named Gordon Love, said, quote, it was a matter of considerable regret that he couldn't prevent the killer from serving jail time, uh, which is fucked. Uh, and he sentenced him to an extremely short 12 months without parole with the option of 10 more months. So the maximum time this killer will serve is less than two years. Um, the... Uh, uh, there was an open letter that's been uh, written and co-signed by a bunch of Filipino and queer organizations and queer Filipino organizations uh, expressing their outrage and fury and sorrow at this obvious failure of the justice system. So I'm just going to read a a, a quote from that uh, letter. It's a little bit long, but um, obviously they are much better people to listen to talk about it than me. So. It must be said that it is the same Judge Gordon Love that had previously sentenced three young people of colour to 7.5 years of imprisonment over a non-fatal incident. That same judge now suddenly expresses grief over giving a killer two years of jail time for killing a trans woman Filipina. The sheer fact that one could perform minor violations and be jailed for far longer than if one admits to killing a trans woman speaks volumes on the value that the Australian government places on the lives of transgender women, most especially trans women Filipinas. We, the Filipino LGBTQIA plus community, con- condemn the shamelessly cruel and unjust verdict by the Australian court. We will not cease in holding the Australian government to account until justice for Melody is served, beginning with a full murder conviction for Ryan Toya. We also raise our voices as a community to condemn the silence of the Duterte regime, who's the president of the Philippines. Despite repeated cries for help by Melody Bruno's family to the Philippine government, Duterte has refused to take a principled stand and demand justice. It's not unknown to us that the silence may entail benefits to Duterte and his minions. After all, the Australian government has been a provider of military aid to the Duterte administration and took an active part in shaping its rabid counterinsurgency campaign by providing drafting advice and technical assistance for the anti-terrorism law. We're also aware that Australia has been most recently brandishing its political leverage to the Philippines through COVID-19 vaccine deals. Today, as we mark the Transgender Day of Visibility, the Filipino LGBTQIA plus community takes a stand. We refuse to be erased. We demand justice for our slain sister Melody Bruno and hold the Philippine and Australian governments to account for the continued denial of our justice, dignity and humanity. That's about a third of the letter. There's more of it. Um, It's more rage and um good analysis you know um so I'll, I'll put a link to that letter in the show notes i'd really encourage everyone to read it and there's also a, a rally and vigil taking place on april the 6th in a couple of days tuesday the 6th at 6 p.m the state library of victoria we'll put a link to that in the show notes um yeah yeah just just an awful story um thank you for taking us through that noon um I'm going to round things off here uh, with a potluck from a listener. If uh, you don't know what a potluck is, it's we uh, we encourage our listeners to send in about a minute of themselves talking about a political issue or memes uh, and we or memes uh, or whatever you want. So uh, please do that 
if you're interested to to send us something and record a little something and, and send it to uh, contact at ospolsnackpod.com. Yes, we have our own domain. It's very exciting. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. We got this potluck a few weeks ago now, um, uh, and uh, the app you know, was we were going to play it when we got it, but then I was away for a few weeks, um, so we didn't have an opportunity to address it. And um, yeah, it's a potluck that is kind of a, a response to um, uh, an episode that we did. So yeah, we wanted to play it on the show and and respond to it a little bit. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's have a listen to that now. Hey, snackers! Uh, look, I just wanted to respond to your IWD episode. Um, particularly in regards to the comments about how proactive the collective is supposedly in regards to swerfs and turfs and how there's, quote, no space for that at International Women's Day in Melbourne. Um, The fact is that International Women's Day, in Melbourne at least, is explicitly a space for these turf cretins. Every single year it comes down to trans people and sex workers. It's our duty to protect ourselves from their very predictable attacks. Zach, thank you very much for marshalling. However, I've got to say that Workers Solidarity, who organised the marshalling, have repeatedly refused to eject these known violent offenders. This year, they stated in a meeting a week up from the march that they would not eject them because they didn't want to escalate things and that everyone had a right to participate. Now, we know who these people are. We have their names and photos. Every year, they assault trans women and they assault sex workers and they expose them to the police. In 2020, they even went as far as spraying trans women in the eyes with vinegar. So, the collective is far from proactive. And though the messaging about discriminatory language was front and centre in 2021, that hasn't played out in any version of reality that I've experienced. Once again, trans people and sex workers were physically assaulted and had the police called on them. There's been a concerted effort to make International Working Women's Day safe for trans people and for sex workers, but any progress that we've made is in spite of the International Women's Day Collective and not because of their supposed proactivity. Oh, and as well, hey, they had no Indigenous speakers. Mariki Onis can speak to that better than I can. A wonderful thread on Twitter, go check that out. But that's just another example of how narrow the IWD collective's conception of womanhood is. So, love your work. Thanks for everything, but fuck turfs, crunch, crunch. Thanks, Tilda, for sharing your perspective and your experience there. Um, It's very clear that the International Women's Day event here in in, um, Melbourne has an absolute shitload of work to do um, before the rally can feel like a safe and inclusive place for trans people and sex workers. Um, You know, I struggled to an extent because I know people on the international women's day committee who, who do fight for this stuff. And I think their hearts really are in the right place and, and they're doing good work, but there's obviously massive shortcomings in the implementation of those uh, ideals even if they are really genuinely held by some people. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's just fucking awful that, um, you know, that trans people and sex workers have had those experiences at this event where they should be not just comfortable and supported, but absolutely front and center. Um, 
uh, as far as the workers' solidarity collective, um, I've been hearing a lot of criticism about the way that, uh, that that group is run, that the way that they, you know, that's the group that does marshalling at a lot of um, Melbourne events. Um, so clearly there's a huge amount of change that needs to happen within that group as well, or we need some kind of alternative. Um, I've heard rumblings that maybe the Whistleblowers Activists and Citizens Alliance could be somebody who could potentially uh, step into that space, um, which might be a really positive change. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I guess it's also uh, an example of the disconnect that happens when somebody like myself who is, you know, I'm not trans, not a sex worker, um, I see very positive messaging and language around mm. this from an event like International Women's Day and think to myself, yeah, like fantastic. That That's great. And then I guess I don't really have to actually think about or experience whether or not. That's how it actually goes. So. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, you and know, that's, Tilda. Yeah, it's an example of. Sorry, go on. I was going to say Tilda who, who sent in that potluck has been talking with us regularly. They're a long-term listener and they've given us feedback about the show before. And I think, um, I just want to say thanks Tilda, I get it wasn't for me that potluck, but like that she acknowledged that you, Zach, were trying to be a good ally and trying to help make the the IWD rally safe for trans women and, and sex workers. And because of who you are and how you're positioned socially, like you you don't see that violence um unless it gets pointed out to you or you know, we don't until it's pointed out to us. So, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you, Tilda, for bringing this stuff up and for letting us know when there's shit that we've said that comes from our, like, cis obliviousness and so on. Um, yeah. So, you know, we really appreciate that feedback. And um, Yeah, and look, I, I think that there, I know that there are people on the International Women's Day Committee as well who have heard this yeah. and do yeah. want to take it on board, whether or not they'll, you know, that that particular organization is capable of making the kind of really fundamental change needed here is another question. Um, but I think, you know, it's also this point of like, you know, some of those people are there, they're in the firing line for this criticism because, you know, they attempted to step up in the first place. And so, you know, like it is definitely, it, it is about kind of holding to account um, without necessary, without like, you know, uh, I don't want to throw really hardworking feminist activists under the bus because, you know, like I'll, I'll be, um, you know, just making a whole new different mistake. Um, but uh, I, I did talk to Tilda a little bit further about this um, after receiving the potluck because, yeah, I mean, I, I felt quite conflicted, honestly, about... Mm. Um, the actions of the worker solidarity marshalling group on the day. Um, Cause we did, you know, kind of confront turfs. They weren't thrown out of the rally. They were just kind of like sectioned off. Um, and it was my first time experiencing uh, transphobic activists in real life. And I, it was fucking confronting, fucking right. shocking, even for someone like me. Um, what happened? So I, I, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, like there, a squad of them showed up. And as Tilda said, like these are the same people that have been showing up for ages. They're really well prepared. You know, at one point, one of them had one of their signs kind of torn up by um, anti-turf and anti-swerf activists. And uh, this turf pulled a fucking staple gun out of their backpack and repaired the sign on the spot. Like they were, wow. they came prepared. They deliberately, like their entire goal was to try and disrupt the rally um, they wanted to, yeah, like disrupt the speeches. They came holding transphobic signs, including really pathetic ones. Like I love JK Rowling was one that I saw, which is just like, you know, and other ones like life. girls deserve sex segregated sports. Like, is this really the, it's so wild. It's how... international women's day. This is, is this the really number one issue facing women yep. t- today? Is that, is that really like the main thing that you've come here to say? Yep. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but, uh, Tilda and I did, did go back and forth about this a little bit. And, uh, Tilda said, what we need is for cis people to take transphobia as seriously as they take any other kind of fascism. Nazis burnt our libraries, sent us to concentration camps and exterminated us alongside disabled people, people of color and Jews. Queerphobia and transphobia are fundamental to fascist ideology and the gender critical slash turf movement is simply white women doing white supremacy and playing their part. Defending white women and the normative family unit, along with patriarchal gender roles, is key to understanding the prime motivations for fascism. Um, hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we kind I, of touch I, I, on I, that sometimes when we do a Fasci Australia segment about disability or whatever. Like, I think I mentioned it last week in my mm-hmm. solo app. Like... Mm. Yeah, like, it's important to remember that fascism targets lots of different groups. Um, and, you know, as a Jew, I like, you know, often Nazism is framed as this anti, anti-Jewish thing, and like it is, but there's all of, yeah, as Tilda says, they murdered trans people and gays and people of color, like all this other stuff. And it's really important to remember that fascism hates trans people. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was just uh, an extremely incisive um, description of the issue there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, something that, uh, you know, I think that I clearly have work to do in terms of uh, really understanding that and incorporating it into uh, my worldview. And um, yeah, there's also a responsibility there, I guess, you know, as somebody who we, we make this show, we put this stuff out there. Um of um, doing due, uh, our kind of due diligence in listening to multiple voices mm. and, in, and interrogating the things that we say and promote. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Tilda, for, for writing in. We genuinely appreciate um, this kind of criticism. Um, that's how we get better. Um, and, uh, you know, we... Yeah, it's it's like super valuable yeah, for us. Yeah. So you know, and 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 hopefully we've um, engaged with uh, this criticism in, in in a meaningful way. Um, if not, we'd love to hear more. So you know, um, you know, if you're up for it, uh, anybody like you know, this we we like to try and think of this co- podcast as a conversation with our community and actually, you know, demonstrate the accountability that we consistently say is so fucking lacking in uh, our entire political system and throughout much of the media as well. Um, Yeah. So uh, on that note, I think we might 
wrap up yep this week's extra long uh it's nearly twice as long as the snack what we had in the show like scaffold outline so cool yeah alex i hope your lawns are fully mowed um yeah i mean you uh you could drive all the way to bendigo and uh not have to change episodes so hopefully that's enough content for you i know tilda you like the long episodes so um yeah yeah you're welcome <laughs> hopefully you didn't this. fucking hate listening to this token of our appreciation yes um yeah otherwise uh if you like what we do uh, a review over on apple podcasts is really helpful for us um uh, please go and leave one if you haven't done that already uh you know like subscribe and share on whatever platforms you yeah can. please do Follow share it makes such a big difference like we have a small it audience does. and so it, like one person sharing massively increases our reach so like it, it really makes a difference yeah, it's true um, yeah and to those listeners who regularly retweet our shit yeah thank uh, you and, and post our episodes and stuff yeah thank you so much we really appreciate your support um and uh, a big thank you to all of our patrons as well oh yeah who financially contribute and um help us do all the back-end stuff that keeps the show running um we're thinking about potentially upgrading our audio gear because we're starting to get to the point where i mean these mics have done a really good job up until this point and um they're just kind of sending us signals that maybe it's time for them to take a rest. <laughs> so we might look into getting some, some new stuff. Um, if you want to support us financially, you can do so over on Patreon for as little as one US dollar a month, uh, which gets you a monthly bonus episode. Which um, we have not done one for last month. So we're very sorry no. about that. We are planning on doing bonus apps this month. Um, we're hopefully going to get Gina Reinhardt's joke book, uh, which will be one bonus app, but that might not arrive until mon- uh, May because uh, for some reason it's only being printed and shipped from Singapore. Uh, yeah. So it's great. Oh, man, I read an article about it today, which like, yeah, had some of the jokes in it and they're just so racist. Like there's Ugh. so many just, it's just racist jokes, so many of it. So we'll we'll flick through and decide whether or not it'll actually be funny or just um, or if we can yeah find stuff that we can like actually read aloud yeah 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 look but either way uh double bonus episode this month to make up for not happening last month Uh, i apologize for that that's because i was away um if you are a patron you can suggest uh sorry five dollar up patron you can suggest topics for our bonus episodes uh over in our discord uh, all all all, uh patrons get access to our discord but for five dollars more you can request uh, a topic which which we normally do accept um so yeah and if you're on a discord please give us suggestions we've got to do at least two uh, episodes this month so you know hit, hit us up yeah double the suggestions um cool uh but before we sign off now it's time for a pop game yeah so uh, uh yeah well not heaps i mean i i you know been continuing with the training it's been fine but this morning uh, a dog rushed over to us at uh, we were outside the dog park uh, and a dog rushed over to us and Bagel lunged over and I thought he was about to start shrieking but he just very politely sniffed this dog's nose and then kept walking so that that's perfect that's like exactly what my training is trying to achieve um, and I am surprised it happened so yeah that's awesome yeah you're a good boy nice one yeah. I, uh, I've been trying to train Dante to come and like tuck himself under a, a chair that I'm sitting on uh-huh. like to lie down underneath my feet. Um, yeah. 
It's a, which is a, a trick suggestion that uh, my sister sent me on Instagram. <laughs> um, she saw a dog trainer post a video of it. Uh, it's one of those like multiple phase yeah, yeah, yeah. tricks. So where where there's maybe like four or five phases, and Dante is like midway part, midway through uh, phase two, where he like basically 1A, understands that uh, I 1B. want him to sit in front of me. Yes, um, while I'm sitting in a chair. Uh, if he's bribed with quite a lot of treats. Yeah. So working on that, once uh, once we get it cracking, I'll post a video of it nice. um, to the Discord, which would be, that'd be cute. Yeah. Um, it's like just learning new stuff. Dante really loves it. Um, it makes him really happy. And also it fucking exhausts him. Mm, like mm-hmm. 10 minutes of learning to do a new yeah. trick is as good as like a 45 minute walk. Yeah. Like he will just keel over and go to sleep. He's like, I have been thinking so hard you you don't understand i've been using his brain one of my um, favorite bits of teaching dogs new tricks is when they haven't well, they're, they're trying to do what you ask but they don't know what it is that you've asked for yeah, and they'll do like six at. things yeah. and it'll be like did you want me to sit did you want me to turn around did you want me to bow did you want me to bark yeah. it's, it's extremely cute <laughs> yeah. them being like uh, i've got a it list is. of things that he sometimes asks me to do <laughs> i guess i'll just yeah. try all of them yeah <laughs> Yeah, and like the longer the training goes on, the more often the choice will be, maybe I'll just lie down and yeah. see if I get a treat for that. <laughs> like, no, that's not what I want. You look very cute, but uh, unfortunately, still no. we're still going to have to keep working. Um, <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, it's going to be back noon. Thank yeah. you for taking the time. Yeah, we Always think that we're going to have a normal episode next week, but uh, may- you might be away, so we'll see. It'll be a normal episode. Okay. We'll make it happen one All way right. or the other. We may All have right. to record a little bit earlier in the week. Anyway, the listeners don't need to know about this. All they need to know cool. about is keeping on snacking in the free world. Fuck Tuff's Crunch Crunch! Le Snack. Le Snack. Le Snack. Le Snack.